Peace be upon you. If I was to ask you what you could do in your life to become more righteous, I'm sure you can probably come up with a list of items. You could think of that you'd give more to charity, that you might want to volunteer more, you might want to spend more time reading Quran, uh, you might want to spend more time commemorating God, and numerous other things that could probably come to mind as far as actions you can take to strive in the cause of God to increase in righteousness. But just as important as what you could add to your daily routines is what you would take out from your daily routines. See, there's this tendency that when we think about improvement, we always think of the concept of addition, but rarely do we contemplate the concept of subtraction. And this is particularly important when it comes to individuals who are religious, because the religious tendency is to add more than what God has decreed for us as far as the limits of our religion. So people think that in essence, by doing more than what God has stated, then in essence, they're getting closer towards righteousness. But a lot of times, this is actually counterproductive, and it leads to defiance of God. And God provides us the example of the children of Israel. That after the children of Israel received the Torah, they had a tendency of going above and beyond what the Torah stated and creating all kinds of new extraneous laws and regulations around their belief. And this formulated in the creation of Talmud, uh, they consider sacred religious teachings taught by the rabbis and scholars. In Surah 3, verse 93, it says, All food used to be lawful for the children of Israel until Israel imposed certain prohibitions on themselves before the Torah was sent down. Say, bring the Torah and read it if you are truthful. Those who fabricate false prohibitions after this and attribute them to God are truly wicked. So here we have the example of the children of Israel imposing more prohibitions than what God has imposed upon them once they received the Torah. And instead of upholding the Torah alone, they continue to uphold other sources that were never authorized by God. In Surah 9 verse 31 it says, They have set up their religious leaders and scholars as lords instead of God. Others defied the Messiah, Son of Mary. They were all commanded to worship only one God. There is no God except He, be He glorified, high above having any partners. God describes individuals who fall into the trap in the following verse. In Surah 62 verse 5 says, The example of those who were given the Torah, then failed to uphold it, is like the donkey carrying great works of literature. Miserable indeed is the example of the people who rejected God's revelations. God does not guide the wicked people. So here you have individuals, they have the perfect book from God, the Torah, yet they fail to uphold it. Then what's the point of having this book? It's no different than the donkey who carries great works of literature if we fail to uphold the scriptures that God has given us. These examples of the failure by the children of Israel to uphold their scripture is not put in the Quran so we can feel good about ourselves, how much better we are than them. They're put in the Quran as a warning to us because we have the same tendencies. Followers of the Quran are no less immune to this shortcoming as the children of Israel were towards the uh, Torah. So for instance, God gives us clear commandments in the Quran. Yet when you go and talk to traditional sources, they tell you something counter to what God has specifically stated in the Quran. Take the example of the wudu, ablution. In the Quran, in Surah 5 verse 6, it's very clearly articulated what the steps of ablution are. It reads, O you who believe, when you observe the contact prayer salat, you shall 1. Wash your faces, 2. Wash your arms to the elbows, 3. Wipe your heads, and 4. Wash your feet to the ankles. This is very clear. It's concise. This is exactly what the Prophet and all the believers who follow the Quran 
are to specifically uphold before they perform their salat. But if we consult traditional sources, this is what they say. They say, oh, you have to wash your hands three times, beginning with the right. You have to uh, wash your mouth three times. You have to rinse your nose three times. You have to wash your face three times. Wash your arms three times. Begin with the right arm at the fingertips, then to the elbow. You need to wipe your head once, clean your ears once, wash your feet three times, starting with the right foot, at the toenails to the ankles. Now, where did these additional steps come from? If God is telling us that the ablution, the wudu, is simply four steps, it doesn't say wash your right first, then your left, three times, or any of that. It doesn't say anything about rinsing your nose or washing your ears. None of this. Where are they getting this from? You know, the, the mentality is, the thought is, hey, if God gave us these four, why don't I go above and beyond and add additional steps to what God has decreed? The irony is when we do this, we're actually defying the words of God in the Quran. God is the one who sets the limits in the Quran. We have another example. In the Quran, very clearly, in no uncertain terms, it tells us that the only four dietary prohibitions in all the revelations that the Prophet has received and we have received on his behalf, that the only four dietary prohibitions are in Surah 6 verse 145. It says, say, I do not find in the revelations given to me any food that is prohibited for any eater. And it's worth noting that the word for revelations here is wahi. Wahi constitutes all the communication between God and his messenger. And it says, one, carry on. Two, running blood. Three, the meat of pigs, for it is contaminated. And four, animals blasphemously dedicated to other than God. If one is forced to eat these without being deliberate or malicious, then your Lord is forgiver, most merciful. So these are the only four dietary prohibitions, and it's saying that out of all the revelations, this includes the scripture, any kind of revelation that was given to the prophet, these are the only four that are prohibited for anyone who eats any food. But again, if we consult traditional sources, they'll add numerous other dietary prohibitions beyond what is specifically stated in the Quran. For instance, the verse very clearly states that it's only the meat of pigs that's prohibited. But if you again consult traditional sources, they'll say that the fat is also prohibited. The Quran is very clear that it says it's only animals that are dedicated to other than God. Yet they'll prohibit any animal that was dedicated to no entity whatsoever. In addition to that, if you see, they'll prohibit the meat of donkeys, mules, horses, uh, animals with fangs, birds of prey, reptiles, crustaceans, insects, and lizards. Now, it's not to say that I necessarily want to eat all these animals, but to say that it's prohibited, that God is decreeing that if you do this, you're committing a sin, is going beyond the limits that God has set in the Quran. So, we've seen the example of the ablution, the wudu, that they've added additional steps. We see the example of the dietary prohibitions, that they added additional dietary prohibitions. Even when God tells us that this was an error that the children of Israel made upon themselves, now we look at the most grotesque example of this, the Shahada. About 30 times in the Quran, the Shahada is simply that there is no other God beside God, in different forms, but it's always the mention of God alone. But if you go and consult the traditionalists, They'll tell you that, no, you have to include the name of the Prophet in your Shahada. And they've changed it from the single Shahada to the Shahada teen, the dual Shahada. In Surah 3, verse 18, it reads, God bears witness that there's no God except He, and so do the angels and those who possess knowledge. Truthfully and equitably, He is the absolute God. There is no God but He, the Almighty, Most Wise. 
This verse is telling us that the shahada of God, the angels, the knowledgeable, of all the believers is simply that there's no other God beside God. So where did people get the, the audacity to add another name next to that of God's in their declaration of faith? In Surah Muhammad, verse 19, it says, You shall know that there's no God beside God and ask forgiveness of your sins and the sins of all believing men and women. God is fully aware of your decisions and your ultimate destiny. That even in the surah of the name Muhammad, it still has the shahada to God alone. And God informs us that this was the testimony we were put on this earth to uphold. In Surah 7 verse 172, it says, Recall that your Lord summoned all the descendants of Adam and had them bear witness for themselves. Am I not your Lord? They all said, yes, we bear witness. Thus, you cannot say on the day of resurrection, we were not aware of this. Our sole duty on this planet, taking this test as human beings, is to declare that there's no other God beside God, period. This is the function we're here to serve. But people thought that it's important to add the name of a human being in this declaration of faith, as if this is going to make them more righteous. So there's this tendency of individuals who think that in order to become more righteous, they need to increase the steps that God has decreed for them. They need to increase the prohibitions that God has prohibited for them. And they need to increase the statements that God has gave to them. But it's not limited to these three examples. For instance, there's five specific prayer times mentioned in the Quran. And you talk to the average traditionalist, they'll say, oh yeah, but there's many, many more salat that one can do during the day. You know, God tells us in the Quran that the Hajj, the purpose of Hajj is to go to God's sacred house, the Kaaba in Mecca. Yet the majority of people, they also go to the their, what they consider the second sacred house, that of the Prophet's tomb in Medina. And they were prohibited from doing these things. And they think somehow by reverencing this dead corpse, that it's as if they're becoming more righteous. And this is the way that the devil dupes us. He makes the disbelievers reduce the number of prohibitions, reduce the number of steps that God has decreed. But then he makes the believers, people who claim to believe, to go above and beyond the limits that God has set, as if that's going to make them more righteous. Throughout the Quran, we see that God alone is the one who sets the limits of our religion. And this expression in Arabic is hadudullah, that we are not allowed to transgress these limits either to do above and beyond what are stated or go below what is stated. We have to do exactly as God has decreed in the Quran. In Surah 2 verse 187, it says, These are God's laws. You shall not transgress them. God thus clarifies His revelations for people that they may attain salvation. In Surah 2 verse 229, it says, These are God's laws. Do not transgress them. Those who transgress God's laws are the unjust. In Surah 65 verse 1, it says, Anyone who transgresses God's laws commits an injustice against himself. In Surah 9 verse 97, it says, The Arabs are the worst in disbelief and hypocrisy and the most likely to ignore the laws that God has revealed to his messenger. God is omniscient, most wise. And in Surah 9 verse 112, it says, They are the repenters, the worshippers, the praisers, the meditators, the bowing and prostrating, the advocators of righteousness and forbidders of evil, and the keepers of God's laws give good news to such believers. So just as important as thinking about what we could do on our day-to-day -day basis to maintain and grow in righteousness, it's just as important to consider what innovations have crept into our religion 
that we need to refrain from, we need to cut out of our religion in order to be able to maintain righteousness and to grow in righteousness. That while we have this focus of always wanting to add more, it requires some unschooling for what we were raised believing. Because of much of what we were taught, what we learned growing up, did not match what God is decreeing in the Quran. In Surah 2, verse 170 to 171, it reads, When they are told, follow what God has revealed herein, they say, we follow only what we found our parents doing. What if their parents did not understand and were not guided? The example of such disbelievers is that of parrots who repeat what they hear of sounds and calls without understanding. Death, dumb, and blind, they cannot understand. And this takes us to the most important subtraction of them all. That if we want to maintain and grow in righteousness, this is more essential than anything else. And it's simply the elimination of setting up any other entities next to that of our worship to God alone. In Surah 39 verse 3 it says, Absolutely the religion shall be devoted to God alone. Those who set up idols beside him say, We idolize them only to bring us closer to God for they are in a better position. God will judge them regarding their disputes. God does not guide such liars, disbelievers. The entire purpose of our existence on this planet is to rid ourselves of any form of idol worship. And this is the most critical task that is more important than anything else, is to eliminate, subtract from our lives any dependency that we think can harm or benefit us independent of God. That if we think there's some other source that we need to listen to above the words of God in the Quran, we need to eradicate that from our lives. That if we call on any other entity beside that of God in our shahada, in our prayers, that we need to eliminate that from our religion. In Surah 39 verse 45, it says, When God alone is mentioned, the hearts of those who do not believe in the hereafter shrink with aversion. But when others are mentioned beside him, they become satisfied. If we are not satisfied with the mention of God alone, it shows that we're putting our dependence on some other entity beside that of God. We should be absolutely 100% content with the shahada of mentioning God alone, to having a religion dedicated to God alone, without the elevation of any other entities in this faith. In Surah 72, verse 18, it says, The places of worship belong to God. Do not call on anyone else beside God. How many masjids do we walk into and we see the names of prophets and sometimes prophets and saints and the companions of the prophet right next to the name of God? If someone didn't speak Arabic, they wouldn't know which one is God, which one is the prophet, which one is these uh, companions. And we see that this is not the popular position because the following verse, after it says that the place of worship belonged to God alone, it reads, When God's servant advocated him alone, almost all of them band together to oppose him. The majority of people want to push people towards idol worship. They want to add to God's religion. They want to set up additional sources beside that of the Quran. In Surah 6, verse 114 through 116, it reads, Shall I seek other than God as a source of law? when he is revealed to you this book fully detailed. Those who receive the scripture recognize that it has been revealed from your Lord truthfully. You shall not harbor any doubt. The word of your Lord is complete in truth and justice. 
Nothing shall abrogate his words. He is the here, the omniscient. And it warns us, it says, if you obey the majority of people on earth, they will divert you from the path of God. They follow only conjecture, they only guess. This shows that if we follow the majority of people on earth, they will divert us from the path. So consider how many people in our own lives are constantly pushing us towards idol worship. That these are the ones that we have to contemplate our relationship with them and ask, are they driving us closer to the worship of God alone? Or are they pushing us towards that of setting up partners next to God? And God tells us the fate of individuals who do not subtract from their lives these things that lead to hell. It reads in Surah 25, verse 27 through 30, it says, The day will come when the transgressor will bite his hands in anguish and say, At last, I wish I had followed the path of the messenger. At last, woe to me! I wish I did not take that person as a friend. He has led me away from the message after it came to me. Indeed, the devil lets down his human victims. And the question is, what is this message from the messenger? And we see it. This is the messenger's testimony on the day of judgment against these people. In 25 verse 30, it says, The messenger said, My Lord, my people have deserted this Quran. That the second we set up some other source to follow, no matter how right it appears, it shows that we lack trust in God's word in the scripture, that this should be our only source of religious law. That if someone tells us that we need to add to our religion in order to gain closer in righteousness above what God has decreed in the Quran, that these are the invitations to hell. And as a believer, we have to be vigilant to identify these extraneous additions that have infiltrated our religion so we can remove them. So this way we can genuinely be righteous and make it to paradise in the hereafter. God willing, we're going to end there. If you guys got comments or questions, please hit us up on our Discord server. The invite link is below. We have a thriving community of believers who love to discuss God and the scripture. If you want to follow on the verses of the Quran, you can download the Quran Study app on the iOS app store. If you don't have an iOS device, you can go to QuranStudyApp.com website. And until next time, peace and God bless.